Welcome to Calvary Chapel of Columbia, where we're unpacking God's truths one verse at a time. And now here's Pastor Tim with today's message. Open up in your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 4 this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you need a Bible, raise your hand. We'll make sure you get one. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and once you're there, stand with me. We're going to read our text this morning. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Oh, by the way, Jesus is still risen from the dead, in case you're wondering. So we can still be as excited about it as we were last week, right? 2 Timothy chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom, preach the word. Be ready and in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Father, we thank you for your word this morning. And here we have a powerful charge. Not necessarily by Paul, but by you, through Paul. You have a charge upon every person that calls himself Christian. We're not free to say what we want to say. But we are free to say what you have already said. To preach your word. And Father, I pray that you would come and might empower and make sense of your, this passage to us individually today. And God, that you would help us to have the boldness in our hearts, Lord, to share your word which changes lives. And so we ask you to come by your, by your spirit now. Teach us, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. I, I'm pretty sure you have noticed, but just in case you haven't noticed, um, the world is bored with the truth. <laughs> the world is totally bored with anything that is true. The world does not want to hear the truth. And it doesn't matter if it's positive or negative. There's always some sort of sensationalism going on with the truth. Why? Because the people don't want to hear just the truth. We want somebody to spice it up a little bit for us. Maybe to make it a little bit worse. I remember when my wife and I were living in Florida... And it was one of our first hurricanes that we had gone through in Sarasota, Florida. And uh, we were watching the news, the national news. And it would happen to be in our city, in our own little Sarasota, Florida, down by the beach. We, we, want, we have the news on. We're looking outside, and it's sunny, and it's nice. And the newscaster lady, no joke, is on there like I swear they had a fan and probably blowing some, uh, some rain on her. And, you know, it's really bad down here and all this kind of stuff. My wife and I looked at each other and go, what in the world is that? And then what was hilarious is a dude in a bike rode behind her. <laughs> Listen, we don't want the truth. The truth would be boring. Actually, this hurricane isn't that bad. And you know what? Uh, we're just going to sign off because there's really nothing happening. See you later. That doesn't sell news. 
I think there is no better portrayal of this idea than, than Hollywood's depictions of historical events, particularly those that come from the Bible. You know, if you've ever seen one of those movies, you know what I'm talking about. Every time I watch a biblical movie made by Hollywood, I learn something new. It's amazing, right? Uh, if you've ever watched the movie Noah, um, you know, I, 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 Ru Russell Crowe as Gladiator makes sense to me. As Noah, that don't make sense to me. But, but I did not know that Tubal Cain and some rebels were actually going to hijack uh, the ark and they even got on board and everything. I'm like, where is that in my Bible? I, I missed that part. I love a good story. But sadly, I hate when the historical context of the Bible is distorted with sensationalism because the truth is enough. And, you know, we, we have a, a really good example of this with Oliver Stone, and he does this a lot. He's famous for this with political figures, right? So we have, like, movies like JFK, Nixon, W. When they came out, all of them were considered contentious at the time of their release because of the added flair and artistic license taken relating to the historical context. In fact, the L.A. Times, which, you know, I don't know if this is true even, but the L.A. Times said this. With Oliver Stone, you never know what you're going to, and you'll never know if you're going to get the straight facts. But at least you can count on some good acting. The circumstances of Stone's new film, Nixon, may not be true, but Anthony Hopkins' excellent performance as an actor compensates for any discrepancies between this film and the historical truth. Awesome. Awesome. Listen, this is, this is people who sensationalize the truth calling out somebody else who's sensationalizing the truth. How, how, you know, crazy is that? Wow. Well, the truth just isn't good enough for our culture. And sadly, that same mindset has infiltrated its way into the church. So you have, you know, so-called pastors abandoning the word of God for the sake of entertaining the audience. And Paul tells us in the last days, man, that in our text here today, that people will seek an entertaining message that tickles their ears rather than an edifying message that stirs their soul. Uh, we're living in such a time where the truth of God's word isn't enough. The people want a message that suits their own passions. The instruction we find here in this text pertains to um, how the pastor ought to respond to a culture like that. So here we have a charge from Paul to Timothy, who's the pastor of Ephesus, and he's saying, Timothy, I have one thing to say to you as we're wrapping this up. Preach the word. Preach the word. This is the pastor's mandate. That's the title of my message, uh, the pastor's mandate. Preach the word. Listen, we have a script. We're not free to create our own content we are messengers, and that, that also applies to you. This is a, a pastoral epistle, but it also applies to the Christian in general that you also have a script, and you're not free to say whatever you want to say and, and develop the story however you want to develop it. That's not okay. We're called to stick it within the lines of Scripture and proclaim that message. Why? Because that's the message that saves people's lives. 
when we change God's message, we start to flirt with the power of the word of God in people's lives. And we can actually, um, you know, make people twice a person of hell as the Pharisees did with God's word to people than they were before they even met us. It's such a dangerous, dangerous thing to, to divert away from God's word and start to think that we have a better message. Man, oh man. And sadly enough, there are many people who would love to fill churches all across the world and sit in places where the word of God is not taught, where it is not brought forth, where there is no understanding but it's a great motivational message and, you know, it, it stirs me to go and do nothing, actually. Changes my life zero because it's not God's Word. God's Word is what will change people's lives. So by, a rem by way of reminder, if you're not familiar with this and you're just joining us here now, Paul is writing this letter from the Mamertine prison in Rome to Timothy, who is his protege and the son in the faith. And he is near the end of his life, and he knows this. And Paul understands that Timothy's task to take the torch of the gospel forward in the culture that he lives in is not going to be easy. And so he, he, he begins to encourage him. He tells him in chapter 1 to fan into flame the gift of God. And to be unashamed of the testimony of the Lord, but to share in sufferings for the gospel. In chapter 2, he goes on and he tells Timothy to be strengthened by grace that is in Christ Jesus. And remember Jesus Christ risen from the dead, the offspring of David. He's also to flee from youthful passions and have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies, for they breed quarrels. Timothy is instructed in chapter 3 regarding the spiritual health of the church. In the last days, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unpeaceable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Timothy is instructed by Paul to avoid such people. Uh, for such people will pull him into the muck and the mire. Rather, he is to continue in what he has learned and firmly believed, knowing from who he learned it and how from childhood he is acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make him wise from salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. This is straight up scripture, folks. This is what he is encouraged to do. Timothy is getting the gospel legacy handed down to him, and he cannot do this in and of himself. It's impossible for him to do this. Paul is instructing Timothy on how to continue the gospel leg legacy forward, and Paul is not just instructing Timothy here. He's instructing you. He's instructing me. Because we are taking the mantle of the gospel forward in our world today. And, and then we're going to at some point pass that down to somebody else. And the question is, what are you passing down? What kind of gospel legacy are you passing down to those around you? That's really kind of the whole premise of our series called the Legacy Series. 
reminding us of personal responsibility relating to the gospel in our culture and that we are not only just to know the gospel for ourselves, but we are to pass it down to others that they too can go into the world and fulfill the mission that Christ has for them. This brings us to chapter 4 where Paul gives Timothy his last charge. And as is often the case, the last words of somebody are oftentimes the most powerful ones. So let's consider what Paul has to say to Timothy in this closing chapter of his very last letter that he writes to his young protege in the faith before he goes home to be with the Lord. There's four things I want to share with you regarding the pastor's mandate this morning. First, we will consider the gravity of the pastor's mandate in verse 1. Then the clarity of the pastor's mandate in verse 2a. Then the urgency of the pastor's mandate in verse 2b. And finally, the reality of the pastor's mandate in verses 3 and 4. We begin with the gravity of the pastor's mandate in verse 1, where it says, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing and his kingdom. Paul charges Timothy. Some of your versions might say, I solemnly charge you. In the Greek, this means to witness, to bear witness, to bear witness, to testify earnestly uh, or repeatedly or to charge, as it were, before witnesses to affirm. The idea carries, uh, the, the, this carries the idea of giving a forceful order or directive. Paul is commanding Timothy, yes, but he's also testifying to Timothy of what will be required of him to carry the gospel legacy forward. These are important words. If Timothy has heard anything up to this point, if you have heard anything up to this point, you absolutely need to hear the gravity of this charge. This is the pinnacle of the charge, of all charges in 2 Timothy here. If you don't get this, you're going to miss a whole bunch. You're not going to be on mission. This is super critical. He says, I charge you, Timothy. Notice, he, he calls in Timothy before the counsel of God. I charge you in the presence of God. It doesn't get any more serious than this, folks. I charge you in the presence of God. He's making him aware in this moment, who it is that he serves. Do you know sometimes we forget that? Sometimes we forget that everything we do is in the presence of God. Sometimes we forget when we're serving who we're serving. Because he, he's not manifest, present in our lives in a, in a way that we can see him. And so oftentimes we forget about who we're really serving. If you're serving the Lord, Christian... In everything you do, it's about the Lord. It's before the Lord. There's nothing hidden before God. You can hide things in front of lots of different people, but you cannot hide things before the Lord. He knows. He sees right into the heart of man. He understands our intentions. He knows our motives. He knows everything about us. And Paul is reminding Timothy about this. I charge you in the presence of God, Timothy. And not only that... But notice, and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by his appearing in his kingdom. This could be translated, even Christ Jesus. Not necessarily, and of Christ Jesus, but even Christ Jesus. He's God. 
I charge you in the presence of God. In general, Jesus is God. But check this out. Then Paul puts more weight on the situation and he goes, I also charge you in the presence of your judge, Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the judge of the world. He will judge the unbelieving world for their sin. He will judge the believing world for their faithfulness. So you as Christians, you will be judged by Christ for your faithfulness. Those who are not believing, those who have never truly made that profession of faith, who have really, you know, been converted, made, crown Jesus Christ king of your life, Lord of your life, you will answer for every single deed that you've done in this world. Every single deed. Paul is saying, Timothy, don't forget, there's a judge. Jesus Christ is Savior, yes, but he's also judge. Jesus said himself in John 5.22, For the Father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the Son. Jesus Christ is creator of all things, and he is judge of all things. And, and Jesus wants us to understand those things. Everyone will give an account to Jesus one day. What account will you give as a believer for what you did with the gospel after you were converted to Christ. That is the account you will give to Christ. What will he say to you? Will he say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your rest? Will he say that to you? Well, how do I get him to say that to me? Is there a, is there a fast track to get that to happen? Listen, the thing that Jesus requires of us is faithfulness, obedience to him. Whatever it is that he puts into our path. We know that our lives exist for two purposes. Number one, to, to know Christ. That's our first purpose in life as an unbeliever. And our second purpose then is to make him known. You know, I said last week, when you stand before Jesus, he's going to say, okay, what kind of car did you drive? What kind of house did you live in? What was your career again? How far did you get? What was your education level? I'm not going to say any of those things because they're irrelevant in heaven. They're irrelevant in heaven. Not that, not, that, not, not that all of those things can be used by the Lord, by the way. So it's not that we don't do those things, but in the context of us doing those things, there's a bigger picture that we should be doing those things. It's called, uh, you know, using our platform for the sake of the gospel. You're called to do that, folks. And one day you'll stand before the Lord. He's the judge of the living and the dead. No one gets out of this. Nobody gets out of this. And um, Timothy knows this already, right? You know this already. But sometimes we need to be reminded of these things, the gravity of what we're doing on this earth. Listen, you have, and I'm going to say, not the responsibility, but the privilege you have the privilege of being used by God Almighty for someone else's eternity. God wants to use you. And I tell you, there's nothing greater in the world. There's no promotion that can match watching somebody that was dead become alive before your eyes. There is nothing greater than that, folks. You have the single most important responsibility in the world and the privilege 
to bring the gospel to people that don't know Christ. What what a wonderful thing. One day we'll stand before the Lord and we will give an account of that. But notice Paul goes on here and he even puts more motivation upon Timothy here by saying, and by his appearing and kingdom. What is he referencing? By his appearing and kingdom. He's referencing the rapture and the second coming of Christ. The word appearing literally means to shine forth and is primarily used by Paul to describe the rapture in other letters in in, in the Bible. According to Titus, the, the appearing of Christ is our blessed hope. It's what we're longing for. We're waiting to see his appearing. His church is longing for him to come back and rapture us from this place. Because when he does that, the world is primed and posed and ready for the second coming of Christ. And when Jesus himself will come and institute his kingdom. Isn't it interesting? And again, I, I wouldn't make a, um, I don't think this is a huge, um, you know, dogmatic point on the pre-tribulation rapture, but I don't know if you caught the, um, the sequence of the way he said that. The appearing and the kingdom. It's the appearing first and then the kingdom. And so, you know, we're not going to make a doctrine out of that, but it's just interesting. Paul is reminding Timothy here, and Paul reminded himself often of this, that Jesus is coming back. He's coming back, folks. And when he does come back, he's coming back to bring his kingdom to this earth. He will institute his kingdom. What were the disciples asking Jesus the whole time he was here? Is it ready? Are are you instituting your kingdom now, Jesus? Is this when the kingdom will come now, Jesus? Where's the kingdom? We know that the kingdom's supposed to come. Is the kingdom now? That's That's all they continually ask Jesus. What about the kingdom, Jesus? And Jesus said, oh, the kingdom's here. And it's coming. There's a twofold you know, fulfillment of the kingdom of God on this earth. The kingdom came when Jesus came, but it's still coming, and it will come again when he comes again. The full kingdom will be instituted on this earth for a thousand years. Jesus will rule and reign on earth in his kingdom. He will sit on the throne in Jerusalem, and he will rule with an iron scepter, the Bible says. And if you're a believer, you're going to be with him. And you're going to be ruling and reigning with him. Oh, we like to think about that, don't we? Man, some mountain city, (laughs) trout everywhere, (laughs) ruling and reigning. Come on, Lord. You know what I'm saying? I don't think it'll be like that. (laughs) He'll be enough for us. But he's coming. And Paul kept that focus you know, through the majority of the Old Testament, or <laughs> the majority of the New Testament was written by Paul. And there's such a, an emphasis on the second coming of Christ. And that was because Paul kept the second coming of Christ in his mind. Of course, the Holy Spirit is speaking through him in, in Scripture. These aren't Paul's words. This is God's words using through Paul. But Paul kept the coming of Christ at the, in, in the forefront of his mind. Why? Because it motivated him. It kept him motivated I wonder if we woke up every day and we realized like somebody's going to go to hell today when they die. Somebody's going to go to hell. Somebody's going to pass into eternity today and because they haven't come to Christ. You know, what can I do about that? 
I'm going to keep my mouth shut and say nothing? That would be like walking up, walking by a burning car with somebody in it and saying, hey, your car's on, not saying, hey, your car's on fire, right? It's a bad analogy and it breaks down, but what I'm saying is, is that, you know, we have the privilege and the opportunity every day to share our faith with somebody. And so we should do that. Jesus comes back. He's coming back as judge. He's not coming back as savior of the world. He's already done that. The question is, are you ready to see him? Are you ready to see him? What's he going to say to you when he says, give me account for your life? What is he going to say? This is the gravity of the pastor's mandate here. This is the gravity of the Christian's mandate here. Let's consider the clarity of the, of the mandate. Look at verse 2 there. He goes on and he says, preach the word. These three words, preach the word, are in fact the pastor's mandate. This is, you know, the one thing that, that you're called to do. If you don't do anything else, you're called to preach the word. Preach it. It's the Word of God that has authority and power, that's alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to divide soul and spirit, joints and marrow. The Word is a discerner of all thoughts and intentions of the heart, according to Hebrews 4.12. The power, listen, is not in the teacher. It's in the content of the Word of God. That is where the power lies, because it's God's Word. Isn't it interesting that when Paul transitions out of chapter 3, the very last verses of chapter 3 are this, all scripture is God-breathed, or well, in this version, it's all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for rebuke, for, for recrection, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Here's your mandate now, preach the word. Why? Because it's God's word. Because it's God-breathed. Now, it's interesting to me because I like that concept of God breathing upon things because when God breathes on something, it comes to life. We talked about that last week, how it was the breath of Christ blown on, uh, on the disciples and how th at that moment they were born again. They were born again. That isn't the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's different. That's Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But in John chapter 20, when Jesus breathes on, is it 19 or 20, whatever it is, but when he breathes out his breath and he says, receive the Holy Spirit, that's because they didn't have the Holy Spirit inside of them. And he breathed life into them. They were, bap they were born again in that moment. Again, same idea with Adam. Breathe God, Jesus' breath. He's the creator. Blew into his lungs and he became alive. The same effect is found in the Word of God. This is His breath. This is life. You want to be alive? Here it is. Do what this Word says. R receive this Word into your life and you will become alive. It's God-breathed. Jesus said in John chapter 6, 63, it's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. Listen, the words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life. And remember, he goes on here and he tells the people, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part from me. And then what, John 6, 6, 6, and they departed from him and never walked with him again. Isn't that interesting? But check this out. Then he turns to his disciples and he says, do you guys want to go too? And listen to Peter's response. In John chapter 6, verse 68, Peter says, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words 
of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. God's word is what brings life to those who are dead. God's word is where the power is. And many pastors abandon his word because the people feel it's too boring. Huh? Nothing else will work. His word is what's God breathed. Listen, when you know the power of his word, there is no temptation to abandon it. When you know the power of his word in your own life, and you understand, you know, me having lived 24 years of my life outside of Christ, not knowing the Lord, not in his word, and then to watch his word transform my life, I ain't abandoning this thing ever. I'm not abandoning his word because you know what? I have nothing else to say. I've got nothing. I can, when somebody comes up to you and they say, hey, I'm going through, a, a, you know, a hard time with my wife or, you know, we're getting a divorce or someone says so, this so-and-so died or, you know, th- some tragic event. What, what are you going to say to them? What are you going to say to them? It's awkward. What are you going to say to them? The only thing you can say is, hey, God's word says this. You want to bring comfort to somebody? God's word says this. You want to encourage somebody? God's word says this. You want, to, you want to help somebody who's stuck in depression? God's word says this. But that's boring. That's a little too boring. Listen, <laughs> we don't need to add excitement to the word of God. The word of God is excitement. You're boring. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, you online, not you guys. You guys. <laughs> it's the word that brings life, period. Listen, you, you don't come here because I'm a great motivational speaker. I'm not. You don't come here because I'm a great orator because I'm not. You don't come here because I'm a great storyteller because I'm not. You come here because you know that I'm going to read the word line upon line and and I'm going to hopefully be anointed by the Spirit of God and make some sense of it. That's why you come here and Pastor Mike, Pastor Brian, they do the same thing. That's why you show up here. You show up here because you know you're going to get the word. And and, and as, you know what, as no frills as, as it might be, it changes people's lives because it's his word that does this. Listen, as a pastor, in the very beginning of my, um, you know, stepping into the pastorate, not, not really, you know, again, I, I love how God does that with me. He just kind of throws me into stuff, you know. And uh, so I had no idea what I was doing. And I'd never really been discipled. Like, you know, my, my pastor, you know, did some things with me. But I, I, I don't know if you ever feel equipped. Who knows? That's a different conversation. But, but the reality of it is, is that I had no idea what I was doing. And, um, you know, the, the, and then you have people that come and you're like 12 people or 20 people or five people or two people, whatever it is. And you start to start to talk to them. And you feel like, man, my teaching sucks, you know, and you're like, they don't. And then they, people come in and they, and then they leave and they don't, you know, they never come back up and you're, and you make it all about you. Oh, I suck at this. You know, I'm terrible at this. God, why would you put me in here? What are you doing, man? Do you need me to step in and like help you organize this stuff or what, you know? Uh, you got the wrong guy here because we're walking by, by sight and not by faith. And the Lord knows what he's doing. 
And, he, you know, the, 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 the temptation is to divert away from, um, you know, what, what we might seem as well. It, there's nothing frills about this. You just read the word and, say, and kind of say what it says. And there's the temptation to maybe try and do something different. You know, what, what are we going to do? Well, hey, let's, let's do some launch pre- preaching, right? So we'll, we'll read a verse and then we'll, we'll talk about all kinds of interesting stories that have nothing to do with the verse that we talked about. But, and then we'll say amen and that was church. Awesome. Hey, way to go. And then people are like, man, that was good. You know, you're like, what? what did you hear what he said? I, I mean, it's great stories. There's many churches out there that have incredible storytellers, that have incredible motivational speakers, but they are not teachers of God's word. A teacher of God's word, and I'm sorry, I you know you it's it's debatable to a point, but expositional teaching, line upon line, verse upon verse, precept upon precept, is the only way to truly disciple somebody. And and, there, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but that's because that's the only way you can get a real, full grasp of, of the word of God, and you're called to preach the word, the full word, not just parts of it. This is the clarity of the pastor's mandate. You have a message to preach. You don't have to create one for yourself. Is there a creative way to do it? Of course there is. You know? You know what? To be honest with you, I spend more time trying to be creative than I do trying to understand what the passage says. Is that ridiculous? Who cares how creative it is? It's his word that changes lives. You know, so... But to be creative, I have a, an analogy here. So, um, although I uh, disagree with Karl Barth's theology, I do admire him for a story that was told regarding his willingness to preach the word in Nazi Germany. He stood up and he was teaching on John 3.16. And, uh, you know, he talked about in that sermon about, about the persecutions of the Jews. And then he said, do you guys know Jesus is a Jew? to his congregation in Nazi Germany. And people started to get up and walk out. And, uh, you know, so he, he, he continued on talking about how Jesus was a Jew and how, you know, this, the persecution of the Jews is, is, is unbiblical. And uh, so you can imagine the, the letters that he got from people. And uh, I love his response. He, he was, one scathing letter came to him denouncing him as a man of God and all this kind of stuff. And his, he replied with one sentence. It was in the text. It was in the text. Preach the word. It's in the text. It may offend some people, but they're offended because their views don't line up with Scripture. Preach the word. The urgency of the pastor's mandate next. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, re- rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. Since Paul is talking to Timothy, and this is considered, again, the pastoral epistle, it still does apply to you. So when he's saying, be ready in season and out of season, he's also talking to you. How are you going to be ready in season and out of season? The only way you can be ready in season and out of season is to be in the Word of God. You have to be ready. That's the, that's the exhortive here. Be ready. You have to get ready to be ready. And you never know when you're going to, when God's going to call upon you to bring uh, his word to somebody. But isn't it interesting that, uh, you know, when 
you're in your de devotions, you know, if you do a daily devotion, I do mine in the morning because that way I have some fodder for the day, something to chew on and something to hopefully give out to somebody. And I find oftentimes that when I'm, as I'm reading my passage and stuff and, and you know, whatever, I, I write a devotion on it as well. And, you know, just, just thinking through a passage or whatever, God always brings it up. He always brings it up somehow in conversation. I was like, you know what? I was just reading something in God's word about this very conversation that we're having. And God says this. That's how you're ready in season and out of season. You know, if you don't have any fuel in your tank, you can't give anybody anything. So you have to, you have to fill yourself up so that you can give it back out. You know, you, get, you go to the source and you get the bread, and then you deliver it to somebody else. But you need to be in his word to do that. You need to have that daily uh, devotional and study. Not, not just reading it. Study the word. You can study the word line upon line. You can look at it. There's tons of uh, resources out there to help you understand it. The same resources that I use, you could use. But the point is that you're to be ready in season and out of season. It, aren't you thankful that God only, only uh, put, put two seasons of your life that you have to be ready? In season and out of season, just two of them. So there you go. You're to be ready in season and out of season. And notice what you'll be ready to do. To reprove. Literally means to help a person understand what he believes or is doing is wrong. To help somebody understand what he believes or is doing is wrong. That means reprove. To rebuke. To bring a person under con conviction of guilt with the word of God. To exhort, literally to encourage a person to apply the word in their lives. Listen, you know what? To reprove, to rebuke, to encourage. It comes from the same place. It comes from the word of God. God doesn't need your help to do these things. He does them through his word. He uses his word to reprove, to, to rebuke, to exhort. We're called to do these things, but I want you to understand how we're called to do them. Notice, complete patience in teaching. Complete patience in teaching. When you reprove somebody, it's with complete patience in teaching. When you rebuke them, it's with complete patience in teaching. The best teachers that I've ever had in my life are people that are incredibly patient. Incredibly patient. You know, you want to be a great teacher? Be patient. Because everybody processes stuff different, man. Be patient. Let the Holy Spirit work in somebody's situation. Come on, you need to do this right now. Don't you understand? You're dummy. You got to get this right now. You know, you're like, what? Wait a second. That's not going to reach anybody. Be patient and teach them. Teach them. You can't teach somebody if you've not been taught. So teach them what God has taught you. You must be ready. This is the urgency of the mandate here. And finally, we find the reality of the pastor's mandate in verse 3. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, and, but have itching ears, and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. Paul is saying that a time will come when the church, that's who he's speaking about, the church, 
That's the they in the passage reference 2 Timothy chapter 3 verses 1 through 5. That's what it's going to look like, the church. So you're talking about the church when, when, when a time will come in the church when people will turn away from the truth and they will wander into myths. They will accumulate teachers who will suit their own passions. Listen, they will not endure sound teaching. That word sound literally means healthy. It's where we get the English word hygienic. It's clean. It's healthy. It's what makes us clean and healthy. The sound doctrine, sound teaching. Listen, lots of people don't want to be healthy. Lots of people, they want their ears tickled. They want to play in mythicalism, mysticism, mysterious doctrines that have no way of being verified whatsoever. They want to be entertained, not discipled. They don't want the truth. They want a version of the truth. I think Spurgeon hit the nail on the head when he said, a time will come when instead of shepherds feeding the sheep, the church will have clowns entertaining goats. And that's what we see, folks. Shepherds, clowns, the, the church as referenced in 2 Timothy chapter 3, the goats. But Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? Check my church attendance. I was there every week, Lord. I can, I can tell you John 3.16, Lord. Depart from me. I never knew you. And to be honest with you, I think those are the saddest words that Jesus will ever say to somebody. Depart from me. I never knew you. Listen, there people in our culture are apparently woke spiritually. They're woke spiritually. They're beyond the Word of God. Activists saying, oh no, we can't take the Word of God for what it says. It's not absolute. Who are you? Who are you? And, and then when you try to say something about that to somebody, you're canceled. You're canceled. You can't tell people the truth. So what do you do? What is the what, what, what is, how do, what is the reality? This is the reality of the pastor's mandate. What do you do? You preach the word. You preach the word. In a cancel culture, you preach the word. And it doesn't matter if you get canceled. Because in the kingdom of God, you're not canceled. And that's where it matters. Paul is saying that there, there is coming a time. And that, he was saying this in 60... 5 A.D.-ish or so, 30 years after Jesus died, 30 years after Jesus died, now all of a sudden they're dealing with this stuff. I'm telling you, it was going on when he was alive. But, but here's the thing. That time has come, folks. What Paul is describing is existing in our culture today, and we see it. And so, you know, the question is, what, what are you going to do? How are you going to respond to that? Are you going to are you going to just cower to the culture and not say anything? Are you going to become so boisterous, um, you know, that you overextend yourself and you, you go outside of God's will in that way? 
here's what you can do. Here's what you can do. Always speak the truth in love and walk by the Spirit of God. You know, always speak the truth in love, but make sure you're walking in the Spirit because there's a way to do this. You know, Jesus could have went down and just put everybody on blast, right? Right down the, right down the, the main drag of Jerusalem. He, he could have just went down and just laid it out, but, but he did it in a specific way. And in fact, he used earthly analogies, parables, things like that to help people. All you got, you, you already have the words. You don't even have to make them up. All you got to do is stick to the script. And, and, but you need to do it in love and minister to people. That, that's kind of Patty Heights ministry. You know, you want to reach those people? You better love them. They're not going to listen to you and they can tell whether you love them or not, right? The love of Christ flowing out of us. I just want to encourage you, man, stick to the word of God. Stick to the Word of God, not your thoughts about something. What does the Word of God say about it? You know, always direct people to the Word of God, not your opinion, because your opinion changes nothing. My opinion changes nothing. Stick to the Word of God. That is the mandate. That is the preacher's mandate. That is the Christian mandate. And to stick to the Word of God, to preach the Word of God. Will you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your grace and mercy. And thank you for this passage, Lord, that you've given us in, in, in such a time as this, Lord, where we do face difficulties in, in terms of bringing the word. And, and there is a cost to it, Lord. We ask you, Father, this morning that you would help us to be your representatives in, these, in this time the very time Paul is speaking about, um, in a way that it would honor you. We ask you, Father, to come and just, in these last few moments of our um, time together, Lord, that you would just draw us closer, Lord. If, if there's anyone here this morning that isn't in right relationship with you, right now would be the time for them to, to give their heart to you. Time is short. And the gospel is true, just as true as it was 2,000 years ago when Jesus Christ died on the cross and then he rose again from the dead on the third day for the sins of the world. And you tell us, Lord, that if anybody confesses Jesus as Lord and believes in their heart that God raised him from the dead, they'll be saved. You won't cast anybody out, Lord. Here we are today about to partake in communion to remember the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, his body broken for us, his blood shed for us that we could be forgiven. And you tell us that we need to do this and not flippantly, Lord, but, in, but we need to be in right relationship with you. Why would we partake of something that we're not, we haven't fully trusted in? And so, if that's you this morning, you can call out to Jesus. Just call out him and you just say, Lord, I turn from my sin right now, Lord. And I turn to you. I ask you to forgive me of my sins, Lord. And cleanse me. By the blood of Christ, I believe in his sacrifice on the cross. I believe in his powerful resurrection and I put my trust in him today
I'm turning my life over to you, Lord, to be your disciple. And we know, Lord, that anyone that would pray that prayer in sincerity is born again, your word says. And if you did that this morning, I would encourage you to come up and tell somebody, one of the people up front here, it needs to be a public profession of faith. So you come up after the service or whatever. Lord, for the rest of us, we just pray that you would work in our hearts, that you would keep us grounded in your word, and you would keep that message upon our hearts. So we just lift this up to you now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. You can hear more of Pastor Tim's studies through the Word of God on our website, www.calvaryofcolumbia.org. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you'll join us again as we continue to study God's Word.